Welcome to the She Yearns Podcast. I am Terry Strange, and I am so thankful you have joined us today. Thank you for being a part of this community. The She Yearns community exists to lead women to desire more of God in everyday life, making Him evident and desirable to others. Welcome to the podcast. Once upon a time, my husband and youngest daughter brought home a gigantic bull mastiff from the animal shelter named Freddy. I happened to be out of town, conveniently. He was like a bull in a china shop wherever he was. After the first week, I told Chad there was no way we could keep that horse of a dog unless he took him to doggy school. So they did. And although he chewed up almost everything in his two-acre backyard, including a couple of chickens, He did his job eventually. He served and protected. About a year or so into having Freddy as part of the family, he was having fun on the deck with his other dog friends that we had at the time and his people when his foot became hung in between the planks in the deck. That cost us about (laughs) $1,800 at the vet and required him to be kept in a kennel and restrict his movements with a leash outside 24-7 for the next six to eight weeks. You haven't lived until you've tried to leash a rambunctious bull mastiff for six to eight weeks. That's all I'm saying. He would rattle the entire extra-large crate that we had to buy for him. Boom, boom, boom. Boom, boom, boom. And the whole thing would shake and, and just scoot on the floor. On and on. He would whine and howl on the leash outside. He hated it. He never, not for one minute, got used to the idea of being confined to my restrictions when he was made for something completely different. Watching Freddie in this situation seared a picture in my brain that God designs his creation with certain purposes in mind. Purposes you and I are made for. Like Freddie, many of us stop short of seeing these through because we are, in a sense, leashed like he was confined on a leash. Maybe we've done it to ourselves by choosing not to follow hard after God and pursue His desires for our lives. Maybe that's it. Maybe we're discouraged and we just can't take another step. It's asking too much. Maybe life has happened and we find ourselves overwhelmed with responsibilities or pain rejection that we did not sign up for. Maybe other opportunities have just sucked the desire for everything else out of us. Maybe we just don't even know how we got here, but you and I are not where we want to be. You feel leashed or stuck in your corner per se, like something's keeping you from moving on to the next thing with God. It's like you're in some sort of holding pattern of timidity and or weakness or angst. This picture of Freddie and his expensive leg injury showed me for a believer, a daughter of the king, God never intended us to live this way. Instead, he calls us beyond timidity, fearfully stopping short, being overwhelmed with life or wallowing in failure, all of which I tend to do. (laughs) Not only does he beckon us to something utterly opposed to this type of existence, he teaches us how to live courageously for his glory and for our 
good. Over the next weeks, let me invite you to look intently at this calling through the eyes of James, the half-brother of Jesus, and learn strategically how to unleash your brave. The book of James is a short New Testament book oozing with practicality in how to walk out your faith in daily life, but it's not an easy book. In fact, it's like you step out onto the porch in your summer PJs, not realizing a front blew in unexpectedly overnight, and it's now a whopping 12 degrees. He has set aside comfortable Christianity with its nominal commitments to actually become Christ-like. Instead, he affectionately points us to a life that embraces counterintuitive initiatives and unnatural responses with one purpose in mind, steadfast faith. Faith that is immovable, impenetrable, unswerving in the face of difficulty or temptation, but is able to stand because it has been tested and purified. That, my dear, requires bravery. such that you and I cannot possess on our own. And he knows it. But James also clearly knows what we have not yet realized. This bravery can be developed and unleashed today. Now, he starts with a zinger. He's just made his introduction for who he is and to whom he is writing. And then here he comes with verses two through four. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Today in our time together, I want to address three questions. Number one, why would James call us to joy in the midst of trouble? Number two, how are we supposed to do it? And number three, what are the benefits of doing this? Why would he call us to joy in the midst of trouble? Why can't I just grit my teeth and take my licks? Stay depressed for long periods of time because of what has happened or is happening to me. Hold on to my anger and let it ooze into all my relationships. Carry the torch of injustice for like a lifetime. Remain the victim all my life because that's how I've learned to behave. What's wrong with all that? especially if the trouble or the trial was devastating. Who would blame us? People do it all the time. I mean, for most people, time passes and the pain lessens, doesn't it? Life goes on. We move on. We don't get to stay in that bad place. So why can't we just walk out the badness as really bad like everyone else and keep moving until it's just a dull throb? It was bad. Right. It was crushing. Yes, actually. But I made it through. Why can't we do that? Well, I was thinking of some possibilities why we can't do that. The first is that it's not a joy in spite of, but by reason of. That's what I find so uncanny. I just can't almost wrap my brain around it. It's not that we're commanded to put on a happy face when bad things happen or that there's something deeply wrong with this when we can't do that. James is talking about a joy that arises within us because of the difficulty, because of it. This is not just joy in sorrow, but joy wrought out through the sorrow. Like we might experience strength out of weakness, or when we see God bringing life out of death in scripture. This is a tremendous paradox. But James is not lone rangering it here. This is not the only place we find this called joy out of difficulty. We also see it in Romans 5, verses 3 through 5. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. 
For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. And then we have 1 Peter 1, verses 6 and 7, where Peter says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So that's a possibility. It's not a joy in spite of, but by reason of. Also, it might be to know our faith is real. I read an interesting quote in my study. No real trust is possible without the possibility of untrust. This is not to say that the trial or difficulty is to test you to see if your faith is real. That's not the issue here. It's to know it. If you've not ever had to trust God for something in your life, that is larger or greater or more terrible than you could imagine, then how are you gonna know he's gonna come through for you? That's sort of the point here. Well, you won't, you can't, unless he allows you to be in situations in which it requires faith. God is not in the business of setting people up for failure. I think sometimes we get this backwards. We can't see it like this. He is for your successes. If you are in a bad situation or a difficult problem, things that were not of your making, but here you sit, then know God intends you to come through them stronger with a deeper, more steadfast or impenetrable faith than before. I think another possibility is obvious to let us know it is possible. It is possible to get thrown to the wolves, encroaching your life, get eaten half alive, come out barely breathing with wounds that will leave marks, so to speak, all the things God has allowed in your life, which might be horrible because of the broken state of the world we live in before Jesus returns and have God bring joy out through you in that difficult situation. What kind of God can do that? That's amazing. Which sort of leads me to the next possibility. It brings glory to God. How? Well, it demonstrates a calm trust in the midst of the storm, not found anywhere else. It just doesn't exist anywhere else in society. It also points others to him and it takes the attention off of us because we can't do this by ourselves. That kind of action and attitude is just not natural. I'm not saying a person who is not a Christian is incapable of experiencing adversity and joy simultaneously, just that This is not a Zen kind of peacefulness. James is talking about joy. Joy you can recognize. Joy that is unmistakable. You can't Zen your way to exude a joy because of your losses, your life-altering diagnoses, your car accidents, and the disappointments that are going to come. That is only possible with God living and working through you and through me, making us brave enough to trust him when we face trials of various kinds. I think it also serves as a catalyst for growth. This is what we see in scripture. God is busy developing us. He is always about the process while we're sort of centered on the end results. We don't really care so much about the process, not like he does, because we see it. Count it all joy, brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. This is a work that God is doing, and let steadfastness have its full effect. He is doing a work. It develops what needs to be developed. Apparently, a lot of us are in need of possessing the quality of steadfastness in our faith, which is like fortitude, the staying power, heroic endurance. It's not simply patience with difficult people or something that is very passive. 
It is an active engagement that sounds a lot like bravery unleashed. That's sort of what it is. It's the word hupomone, and it is not simply the ability to bear things. It is the ability, says William Barclay, to turn them to greatness and to glory. And we can't do that without the Lord. Now, how exactly are we supposed to do this, to exude this joy through difficult situations? Well, the first thing I'm going to suggest is that we get our theology straight. We've got to get our theology straight. Mother Teresa got it wrong when she said, I know God won't give me more than I can handle. I just wish he didn't trust me so much. You've probably heard that or seen it on a wall plaque or on social media. It's not biblical. God will give you more than you can handle. Just ask Paul. He says in 2 Corinthians 1.8, We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. That's what Paul says. So we need to stop telling ourselves that there must be something wrong with this because we can't get a grip. God thinks I can do it. What's wrong with me? Uh, Our theology is wrong. That's what's wrong with this. Do not think otherwise. James is calling us to do something that is superhuman. It's, It's a superhuman divine task he knows we can't do on our own. Hear what Paul says in the very next verse. We felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on a God who raises the dead. That's what God does all the time. We should expect it to come in and out of our lives until we get to glory. These trials and tribulations that we have to go through. This is what God does. He brings glory from it. The other thing that I think is essential in how we approach this difficulty and allowing God to bring joy out of our situations through us is to do what's unnatural. First of all, just let it be. Accept your situation and circumstances as what God deems necessary and good for your overall development in Christ's likeness. That might be a huge step for a lot of people, but we just have to learn to let it be. And then we've got to embrace it as such, giving him the freedom to do what whatever he needs to do with you in the middle of the badness versus what's natural, which would be to sort of fight him on it. Then we've got to guard against our thoughts because this is when we can lose the battle. There will be ample reason and opportunity to do what is natural, which is to sulk and take yourself into a negative state because the reality is probably bad in natural situation. Don't do it. It's a fast track to unbelief. And that's the next thing. There will be temptations toward unbelief anyway. Remember, nothing is wasted. Your pain, my pain, our sorrows, your devastations, my disappointments, and yours, they're all purposeful. We may not like it. You could think of 10 other ways you could have done it otherwise. Well, if you can, you're in good company because Jesus also asked for a door number two instead of the cross. But at the end of the day, Jesus chose to believe his father and trust him. Not my will, but yours. And we need to have the same sentiment. Practice pouring in assurances is how we battle in this arena. We want to find verses that speak of God's faithfulness. We want to reread that journal if we've written anything down about our history with God and His faithfulness to us. We want to find good Christian biographies, not just one, probably more than one, of God's character for bringing joy out of adversity because it's going to be there. Invariably, it's going to be there. We want to use our technology for just drowning out our own negativity and defeating thoughts with Bible teaching, gospel-centered 
preachers and teachers and authors, anything like that, then you can expose yourself to during this kind of time would be worthy of your pursuit. Also, praise Him in the middle of the mess. And then, pray through your action steps to take in the midst of the trouble. Your action step may be to wait and let God heal you and deal with your situation. And maybe that's how He's making you brave. Because it's hard to wait. It's hard to stick to a place and not move until He tells you to. But this is going to vary from person to person, situation to situation. The key is to get yourself listening to God and to become responsive to his instructions. If you're willing to get your theology straight and to do what's not natural in the midst of the mess, God will work a miracle of joy in your life. So what is then the benefit? James makes a ludicrous proposal here in the first few verses of the book. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing. Does this mean that if I begin learning how to unleash my brave and these rotten situations thrown at me, all the messes in my life, and I become steadfast in my faith, stronger, more immovable, and less ready to bolt in the face of disaster, that I have the promise of perfection? here and now? Well, there's some debate on what James meant when he made this audacious proposal, but well, yes. Scholars say the word is like complete, entire, without imperfections, deficient in nothing, much like the offerings that were offered in the Old Testament sacrifices. In the Greek, it is used to describe the giving up of a struggle, the defeat of an army. All that to say, to be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, can mean that as you and I develop patterns of faith that look like the unleashing of our bravery, to trust our God to be faithful, to use us day by day, we will be constantly shedding what is deficient like the dross from purifying gold is burned away in the testing fires. Instead, we will be gaining new virtues until we become entirely fit for the service God has established in and through us for His glory, for kingdom purposes, and for our specific good. I don't know what mess you might be going through. Chances are you're in one. You are going through some trouble. Who knows what trials you might have fallen into lately. James has it covered for us. These assurances are all-encompassing. Not a problem or difficulty is left out. You don't have to embark upon the mess in defeat or weakness or timidity. Your God is here to strengthen you and to help you be joyful through and even because of the badness. You just need to start unleashing your bravery. Hey, you can do this. And it's going to be absolutely mind-boggling to everyone who experiences it around you. Don't settle for anything less than lacking in nothing. Thanks for joining me today on the She Yearns Podcast. I am very much looking forward to you being with you again next time. Thank you again for tuning in today. We will be releasing a new episode every week. I would invite you to become a subscriber. And it really makes a difference when you share something here that you find helpful or encouraging. You make an impact. You may never understand the value or difference your suggestion or encouragement made in the life of a friend or casual acquaintance just by passing a resource along. So please share what you find here with others. I would personally be grateful. Don't hesitate to like us on Facebook or Twitter or leave a review. For more truth-saturated, gospel-centered 
spiritually insightful encouragement, please go to www.sheyearns.com where you will find reading plans, articles, and other resources to help stir a desire for God into your everyday life.